Welcome to the Small Machine Talks, a conversation about literature and art, about duende and queerness and coping and tea, border blur and misfits and community, secret places, ragged edges. Angel House Press. I'm your host, Amanda Earle. Welcome to the Small Machine Talks. I'm Amanda Earle, and we're back after a, a hiatus of, I guess, well, the last one was at the end of January. So uh, it's nice to be back. And I'm joined today by Razikra Revolva. Hi, Razikra. Hi, Amanda. Thanks for coming on the show and being the first one post hiatus. That's uh, terrific. That's very exciting. I feel very distinguished by it. It's quite an yeah. honor. <laughs> it is well. It's a, it's it's so great to have you on the show. I, I loved your book, and we're gonna we're gonna talk all about it. And oh, thank you so I, much. Yeah, it, it's terrific. So uh, we might as well get started. So I, I normally what mm-hmm. I normally do is I read a bio, but I've been experimenting with asking people to to just let let to tell me about what they want people to know about them. So I'm, that's my first question for you. I guess is uh, what would you like uh, listeners to know about you? Okay, great. Um, So I would like listeners to know that I am super excited to be doing this interview and to be here right now. And that, uh, well, here being, you know, remotely here, but that's also has a lot of its own benefits. Um, And that I am, I'm such an admirer of yours and your work, Amanda, and I'd love to one day return the favor and really dig into your work and uh, perhaps one of your upcoming projects. I think that would be really exciting. Um, Also... (laughs) I think people should probably know that I will try my best to answer the questions as they're being posed, but my mind has a tendency to kind of branch off in multiple simultaneous directions that don't necessarily overlap. So there may be a few digressions. We like that here. I I like that anyway. I I think everyone, if if people are still listening, this is the 76th episode. I think and if people are are, are still listening at this point, they -hmm. they understand that we, we love the diversion here and the segue so yes, even the way it's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. All right. So uh, I, I, what I like, one thing I'd like you to do is, is pronounce for me the the title of your book because I love I love the word cephalopod, but I always have to. It's such a it's it's a wonderful jumble in my mouth, and I always have to like I have to get ready like I'm ready getting ready for a race. You know, I'm about to like <laughs> yes. okay, I'm about to say this word now. Ready, ready, and cephalopod because I want to say cephalopod yeah. for some reason all the time. I don't know why I want to pronounce that like that. So cephalopography, ceph- cephalopod. Mm-hmm. Is that is that yes, good? Yes, that's or it. That's it exactly. Cephalopography. Cephalopography 2.0 came out with Will Sack and Win in 2020. And what would you like? And we're going to talk all about the book, including lots of praise that I heap on it. <laughs> and on you. I'm, I'm full, and thanks for your kind words, by the way. I I, almost, I can't actually, like, I don't even know how to um, respond when people say nice things. I always want to say, oh, that's not true. Like, I don't know why. It's, it's so that weird. impulse to deflect is yeah. so, like, it's right yeah. there, you know? It's almost I a know. reflex. You should just take it and say, thank you kindly. And, and you know. <laughs> It's it's honestly a skill, like being able to. It's it's a lot of work. I'm not very good at it yet, but it's it's a lot of work learning how to sort of accept that this is even if you don't find it true for yourself, it is true for other people. Um, I found it useful to kind of reframe it as like, okay, but if you tell people it's not true, then you know you're being a dick. You're telling them what they think, and that's not necessary. But it was hard to think. (laughs) Oh, good. I'm glad. It's it's for them. That will make me mm-hmm. feel more like accepting a compliment mm-hmm. if I think I'm doing it for them, like to make them feel Absolutely, better. Absolutely, yeah. That helps a lot. 
so cephalopod so here I go again cephalopography right. 2.0 yes came out with World Second Wind 2020 what would you like people to know about your uh, about about this wonderful book um, I would like people to know that uh, cephalopography 2.0 is the product of over 10 years of research and study, experimentation, play, lots of play, lots of cross-genre, cross-media kind of hybridization, a whole lot of thinking. I just, I could not be more proud of this work for what it does for and with poetry. And uh, it is it is challenging and welcoming and super fun. And I think everyone should read it. This is what people should know, that they should read the book. I agree with you. It's super fun. And we'll get into a little, little uh, nitty gritty. But uh, what, of course, at the end, there are in interactive poetry uh, mm. e exercises, which were great fun. I have to admit that I couldn't do all of them, like the squidoku. I couldn't do because I don't know how to do sudoku. So I, c I couldn't do that That's one. That's fair, but I, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I did. But I mean, and it was good. The answer key is there. So you can actually, mm -hmm. you, at least you can. But it, it's, it's, it's so much fun on every level. And if you're someone who likes to explore like me, I, I had to look up the names of the different, like the squids and stuff like that. And it was, so, I, it filled me with wonder, right? I mean, just, it's just such Ugh. a fantastic, um, there's so much there. Let, let's start at the, at the front of the book, as, as methodical as I can be sometimes. <laughs> That's like, fantastic. It, yeah, like the the cover is gorgeous. It's it's uh, your own artwork. I understand. Mm -hmm. It's a uh, it's a lovely. It's there's a lot of pink in there, which I quite like. It's uh, and all the colors, and I I just love the way it's. The, your name is done in what looks like one of those Dymo um, mm. or those those um, label makers, you know, with the raised letters. So it's it's very even the cover looks very tactile. So can you talk more about the uh, cover? Absolutely. Um, I, I also, I really love the cover. I, I found it so exciting. And um, in many ways, I feel like the, the cover and the experience of working on the cover exemplifies why I was so excited to work with Woolsack and Wynn uh, as my publishers. Um, because they really, they put so much care into design and so much, um, they gave me so much autonomy and control over how I wanted things to appear. And I really had a chance to okay basically everything. And um, this this um, this cover image, it started as a painting uh, many years ago, probably, well, I, I made the artwork shortly after writing the poem Octopo and Tuthiet. So it must've been quite a long time ago because that was the third poem, like cephalopod poem that I ever wrote. So <laughs> it, it, it's an old one, <laughs> but um, I have edited it. Uh, once since then, because I learned a little more about the science and I realized I had an inaccuracy that needed to change. Um, I had to change the word tentacles to arms because those octopodes don't have tentacles. They, they only have arms. Um, but I didn't know that at the time. Um, anyway, I had this, this art piece, which I, I scanned it and I manipulated it digitally and came up with about seven different alternates that I sent to the designer, who is the really fantastic and talented and super smart, very friendly and lovely Kilby Smith McGregor. She does such good work. I, I really recommend looking her up. And if you're kind of interested in checking out some of her work, she's really... Um, there, there's a, what is it called? There's a, a play manuscript from the Playwrights Canada Press that's um, Anna Chatterton and Evelyn Perry, I think. Oh gosh, I'm going to say their names wrong and having uh, forgotten it now because I'm just getting excited thinking about it. But the, the, the play for uh, Gertrude and Anna that, no, Gertrude and Alice. Oh my gosh, I'm just saying all the wrong things. I apologize. But, uh, oh, but she's got, yeah. 
Well, she's got a, a fantastic catalog of work, I guess is what I mean to say. And uh, the Gertrude and Alice um, manuscript, or not manuscript, but uh, the book has an insert in the back that she did, which is full color and super beautiful. And it was probably my first time being familiar with her work was when I read that. And then when I later discovered after reading an article about her work on Gary Barwin's uh, recent um selected works oh, for it's a pleasure and surprise yeah. to breathe yeah, yeah she did that one as well and oh my god it looks doesn't it look amazing it yeah, turned out so well so powerful um, mm-hmm. and so once i i was i was reading uh, an interview with her where she was talking about her process when i got an email to say kilby's going to be the one working on your book and i was just so delighted it was like such a great opportunity to work with someone so thoughtful um but anyway so I sent those alternates to Kilby um, and she helped me narrow it down to three, one which was uh, like dominantly green, one which was dominantly white and one which was dominantly pink. And Mm -hmm. I was just so exhilarated by this like audaciously pink image, this, this like really very femme, very um, noisy and loud kind of cover. And to say nothing of how pink the entire book would become yeah. as it continued with the spine, with the end pages. And I just, I love that. It's just, it's irresistible to me. Um, so I knew I had to choose that one. I sent that to Kilby and she zeroed in on some of the details, zoomed in and uh, tweaked some of the values and the colors. And then there we had it. We went back and forth a little bit on the fonts and that sort of like label maker. I loved that. I was like, this is perfect. There were Um, She had some other very beautiful sort of script-like fonts that she was using, but I felt like they got lost a little bit in all of the textures of the image. So I think it was a great choice. And then she really carried that through the collection such that the titles all appear the same way, like the poetry titles. I love that. I love it when uh, editors do that. I had, um, well, the recent experience I had like that, of course, is with uh, Judith, Women Making Visual Mm. Poetry. Uh, working with uh, Joachim Norling of Tim Glass's editions. He wow. is a phenomenal designer. And we, mm-hmm. you know, uh, he asked me for ideas about the cover and we sort of went back and forth for a while. And then, and then he came up with something truly like exactly right for the book. Because when you see it, you see it in social media all the time. Like people are, you know, sharing the, the book, the co- which I love. And, mm-hmm. and what happened, it's like, I see that cover all the time. If it was a cover that I didn't like, it would be you know, kind of like, oh. that's true you'd be consistently being like oh damn i wish i could have done something different but instead you get to just feel the celebration that we all feel when we get our copies mine came yeah. last night and i'm not going to open it until we're done because it's going to be my that's, little celebration that's nice that's really nice well i i don't mean to talk too much about stuff on my end but just it's because that really and like one of the things he did is um so um judas cockathorn who the book is named for mm-hmm. uh, the anthology is named for the visual poet from uh, BC, um, mm-hmm. she um, she uses a color in her work, a green color, mm. and she actually told me something interesting uh, not that long ago about that color. She said she chooses it because it's kind of close to gray, and if, if printers can't print the green, then they can do oh, it in gray, which is very that's smart. That's very smart, yeah. Yes, it is. So I was, I, and she's she's quite brilliant, actually, and interesting. But um, so what uh, Joachim did is he also made the end papers and also underneath everyone's name, this way we call it Judith Green. So Ugh. that color is there. I mean, it may not be exactly. I mean, spoilers, the- Amanda. I haven't <laughs> looked yet. <laughs> oh, right. Sorry. No, it's okay. So That's really, really cool. I- yeah, it's, it's just a cool thing that um, 
a good designer, that's the type of thing that they do. So yeah, that's the last I will mention Judith. Uh, in this, I mean, it's, <laughs> it might come up organically. My, yeah, maybe. But that book has been my obsession for over two years. So you know, oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's almost like coming down from a, a you know, a race or something after mm-hmm. you know, adrenaline. You don't know exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So yeah, that's so the, yeah, the cover is quite nice. I, I think it could be great as merch too. You could have it as, you know, tote bags. And oh, that would be really fun, actually. I think I think some of the uh, the images, the glitch, uh, the sort yeah. of um, reverse acrasies could also be really, really fun on uh, yeah. on bags and stuff. I think I might just get some printed so I can have them for myself. And then yeah. if people want them, I mean, by all means, I'll sell them. But I definitely want them. <laughs> I want them for me. We need more small press book fairs again and all that. I'll be so glad when that comes back. Oh, it'd back. be such a good place to do. Oh, I miss yeah, that so much. And everything. Mm-hmm. I think I'm just going to say yes to everything that I can get to by yeah. by by uh, by train or by walking. I will. I mm-hmm. will. I will like to take the plane, but or or boats. But I think I'm just going to say yes to everything once the pandemic ends. I'm just going to say yes. Mm-hmm. Like, invite me somewhere. I'll come. Absolutely. Like, I'll come anyway, without even even having to require an invitation. Uh, so, so, cephalopography 2.0, how did you mm-hmm. become interested in cephalopods and what makes them the right lens for this book? So, um, my original pitch for the cephalopography chapbook, which was published yeah. in 2016 by Words on Pages Press, um, who I don't I believe to be active right now, but I think... He, you can still find a few copies of, of their books sort of floating around somewhere. They re- they published a lot of really incredible chapbooks, and I, I feel really happy that I was able to be one of them. Um, but anyway, the pitch was something like a, a multi-form exploration of various axes of human identity and experience through the lens of cephalopods and their environments, a.k.a. an illustrated celebration of my imaginary best friends. <laughs> Dive in and don't forget to breathe. And when I say imaginary best friends, I mean, of course, that it, it's it's not the creatures themselves that are imaginary, but my relationship with them is one of imagination. And in this book in particular, my work explores a really wide and dynamic and very divergent range of forms and voices and ideas. Um, and all of this needs to cohere in some way for the collection to be realized. Um, so... While the lens is cephalopods because they're what I needed and what I was compelled to write about, what I was compelled to imagine um, and write through and think through, they also mirror that plurality with their own forms and their own morphology. And so um, the reality and the taxonomic class of cephalopoda is what gives the collection its coherence while allowing me to then write with abandon and run well beyond the gamut of poetic forms and expressions. Yeah, I would say also that um, the speaker of the poem identifies himself quite a bit with them in the sense of um, kind of not fitting in with the way things are and kind of seeing a a sort of a different way of being maybe in a different mm-hmm. it's very, I that mean, resonates it's, really really strongly with me and my intentions as well yeah that's how I felt too like there's a I have so many um dog-eared pages in the book <gasps> but I wish I should have like specific things I used to do that where I would put very specific um mm-hmm. you know I have the tags attached to specific things, but the eye and the and the and the different uh cephalopods mm-hmm. uh, they're, they're there and there's one I think 
where there's kind of a mirror of, of sort of um, on land and in the sea and this kind of like, I don't know, it's just, it's just perfect. Like, I love that. I really, I related a lot to that too. I mean, it, it relates to, to queerness and, mm-hmm. and all that too. And also, um, you know, ableism as well. And like, yes. it's just so, it's so rich, this book culture as well. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, a personal heritage religion, like there's just so much in there that, um, you know, um, trying to, trying to fit in or not fitting in and, and mm-hmm. feeling like, and for some reason, on my mind right now is also um, Finding Nemo too. The second Finding oh, yeah. Nemo was called Finding Nemo, but because there was mm-hmm. that that um, octopus in, yeah. the, in the who was sort of like this, uh, you know, curmudgeonly helper, yeah, but it was very gross. <laughs> transported from from tank to tank, and I kept feeling worried for this. Like, don't don't get it out of the water for too long. <laughs> but I, yeah, I don't know. That's on my mind too. Is yeah, like how much. But um, yeah, no, it, I mean, it, it's a really lovely book. Um, yeah, so I, I mentioned that you work in numerous uh, mm-hmm. media, not just for this book, but in general. And can you talk about the connection between music, visual arts, sound and text in your work, this book, but also um, in general, because that's an important part of this book as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I'm a very greedy person in some ways, you know? <laughs> Writing's not just enough. Poetry's not just enough. Reading's not just enough. And I like to touch things. I like to play with things, like to manipulate them and move them around. Um, I like to blend things, like to mix colors. I like to make collages. I've been making some um, some collage poems lately that I've, I've been really uh, having just too much fun with, my goodness. Although they are turning out really cool, but like just the process of it is so exciting. Um, and so much of the way that I think, I, I don't find myself able to restrict to one discipline or to one approach or one mode. Yeah. So often um, the poem is perhaps like the, um, not clearest or best, but something sort of like both of those things. The, the, the approach that distills the idea perhaps in a truest way, but maybe not the only way or the most communicable way. So often I will have a piece that will start on the page, um, like the digital screen, actually, like the, it'll start on the the page represented on my laptop um, that will then move to canvas or to paper or to um, various found elements. Uh, My glue gun is one of my dearest friends, (laughs) Um, but that it will then um, move into an audio dimension or a video dimension. And, all of these things are expressions of the same concept, the same idea. And usually that, that, that core is the poem. But I became really interested in integrating sound and all of these sound techniques into my poems when I started doing readings for the first time. Right. Because I would look at my work and I would say, essentially, I don't know how to translate this in a way that accurately gives the listener an an understanding of what's happening on the page. So small things, it started with like italics or different languages or lines which needed to overlap with one another. So I used to have a a much bigger setup, a a bigger rig than I I do now, which is largely uh, down to one unit. And uh, sometimes I also use a pocket operator, which I just received very recently as a gift from my partner. And it is super, super fun, but I need to use a mic stand with it because I have to use both hands. But anyway, it's, um, I, I would, uh, record samples ahead of time. I would like alter them ahead of time. And it, it just, it took a lot more equipment. 
Um, but the effect was super exciting. It, it was it was exactly what I wanted to hear and the way that I wanted it to be presented. And when people that I would be performing for would have the chance to compare it to the page, I felt like they could really understand what I was doing. And um, I think I do struggle a lot with not being understood or a fear of not being understood right. while at the same time recognizing that my method of communication in my mind and my chosen methods of communication, not just the ones which are available and understandable to me are, uh, you know, a little obtuse perhaps. Like I, I, I don't tend to gravitate towards uh, clarity or simplicity in some ways. Um, but I really, really love like micro forms and small, small things, but there's often that layers of complexity or plurality because that's just, that's how I think. I don't, I don't know how to give a straight answer because I don't, I don't, you know, it's like those t-shirts where I can't even think straight. Like it just, it doesn't work that way. I like that voice. That's exactly the voice of those t-shirts. It is, right? I like them to have a little vaudeville kick, you know, that's 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 my favorite. There's always that vaudevillian. I get that, uh, that sort of, what is it? Um, Oh, Catherine Hepburn voice sometimes. Mm, mm-hmm. Another one that's a great voice. So great. Yeah, the yes. other too is about understanding and clarity. One of the things I have, one of the things that sort of, I guess, um, bothers me sometimes about um, poetry and the way it's interpreted is, is this insistence on uh, seeing the whole thing, like understanding somehow, like, 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 okay, so all the surface elements of the poem have to be what you pay attention to. And mm-hmm. it's almost like other things go missing, like the sound. People don't notice the sound Absolutely. quality. They don't notice the line break. They don't notice whatever. they mm-hmm. Or the image, the repeated images throughout or whatever. They focus on, if they can't get a surface meaning, then that's it. The poem is done. And I, I don't often, I, I, I repeated this probably too many times even here, mm-hmm. but when I was uh, in grade seven, and this is after years of sort of listening to a lot of poetry that my father had recited as a child, like, Oh, how nice. like that. Mm-hmm. Edward Lear nonsense, Victorian morality, all, <laughs> yeah. all that stuff. So I was already a fan of poetry. And then in grade seven, in grade seven, we were studying that will uh, that Wordsworth poem, um, I Wandered Lonely as a Cloud. Mm-hmm. And the teacher said, What does the poem mean? Which is a dreadful question, first of all. But uh, and I said the it's sound so close ended. Yeah. I said the sound of bells, and I mm. was wrong. And then, of course, that was it for me. I was done with poetry for <laughs> the next umpteen years. Uh, but the point is, is that sound is very much a part of meaning. And these other elements, too, like you don't, I don't think that you have to. When you read a poem, what you get is what you get. You can, you can keep reading it if you want or listening to it, but you don't have mm-hmm. to. You don't have to have everything. What, what resonates for you is what resonates. And there's, the neat thing about a poem is I think it's not a linear thing. It's, it goes off in all kinds of directions, in your mind, in your ear, mm-hmm. whatever. All, not every poem was, works the same way either. Some were, are more heavy in one thing than another. So, um, like for That's me, very with true. for me with synesthesia, what I get from words a lot too are colors. So I'll get a, mm. or even sounds and things. So I'll get a wow. range of color, but I can't. You know, that isn't the same thing as what someone else gets. It, it and it's still a valid and interesting part mm. of the interpretation of a poem. Like if I say the sound of bells, that's you know. That's perfectly fine. There goes my voice, I guess. But uh, the point is, it's like, so with your work, um, I think ultimately that's what, that's another thing that also makes it so great is because one person might get something, one thing out of it, and another person might get something different. Like it Mm -hmm. doesn't have to be 
everyone gets the same thing out of the same home all the time. You know, that's yeah. my rant way about chat. No, I love that. <laughs> it's it's a fantastic rant. And I, I agree with you. Like poetry is not prescriptive. It's that's Shouldn't that's be. not how it functions <laughs> generally. I mean, I well, I'm I'm reticent to say like poetry is not or poetry can't oh, I because that's I don't that's that's also part of the thing, right? Like what are you yeah. doing with it? What is what is poetry doing with you? Um I remember a long time ago uh, in the very early stages of uh, working on this manuscript with my editor, uh, Kinesia Lubrin, she was, we, yeah, were, we were talking about, I know she's the best, right? I love her work. I love her. Mm-hmm. Just, yes. just an incredible, <laughs> incredible mind, wonderful person. Like I, again, the dream, the dream team at Wolsack, although that she's no longer great. with them, but that was just absolutely a dream come true. Um, but we, we used to talk about this and how, in many ways, poetry, uh, perhaps distinct from other art forms, is very much uh, functions as a mirror. And you, what you get from it is so largely about yourself. And I love that. I, I love that it can be so dynamic from like a single performance or a single reading can be so dynamic across the minds of so many people. Um, and of course, there are things that like I might mean or intend, but they're not the end game. That's not no. that's not really ugh, what am I trying to say? There are things I want to communicate, but I'm also very interested in the way that that communication creates an opening. That's um, it. Yeah. Not a closing. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Open. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly. I feel the same way. So um I first heard you perform at Verse Fest a few years ago, but now I think it's been several years ago. But um, <laughs> I-, I loved your performance. I don't know. I was trying. I was trying to think if I. I don't. That was the first time we met in person. I believe so. But, yeah. Uh, but yet, I already was uh, somewhat familiar with you and your work. So mm-hmm. I feel like we must have had other interactions, maybe already. Yes, definitely. My memory, of course, is gone. Mm-hmm. But I, I think I think I- social media and things like yeah. that, and I'd I'd read a few. Um, uh, like leaflets and uh, chapbooks of the Vispo Bible and a few um, oh, right. <laughs> and like uh, some above ground press work that I think uh, Lady Lazarus Redux, which I don't oh, think right. is part of the Vispo Bible, but oh. I might be wrong about that. Um, and <laughs> oh, also yeah. uh, unrelated, but at some point, gosh, I would really love to talk to you more about how synesthesia informs your visual poetry, because that just okay. sounds like a really, really great topic for discussion. And I'm super interested. But um running back to what I was saying. Yes. Oh, yeah, so we, we, we were familiar with each other, but we hadn't yeah. met in person. I remember I was excited. I was, I packed my, uh, my copies of your chapbooks and leaflets so that you could sign them that day. And that was very fun for me. Yeah. I remember what was, it was really neat because I already, I already had like, I knew I was, I was, I was really looking forward to coming in. Of course, I loved your performance. It was so great. Thank and, you. Um, so I wanted, to, and of course, you're in, in your performance. You use, you know, you use some sound effects. You use loops and things like that, and it works mm-hmm. so well with the subject matter and just with the whole vibe of uh, of things. And I wondered about how your editing process. Do you do you edit in conjunction with recording when you when you do that? Like, do you kind of write, record, practice, and then sort of fix the writing, or or does anything like that happen? Because I do typically start, um, there are certain pieces that I'll start knowing that they're going to be sound pieces and that sound is going to be the predominant um, like vehicle. But frequently, uh, much more frequently, I'll start with a poem on the page. And then when I'm 
translating it, certain adaptations do occur. I might change some of the wording. I might excerpt parts. I might add more or repeat more because the it, it communicates emphasis in a different way that I think maybe is, uh, I guess, more successful from from a hearing and and that sort of intake of information. I there's I don't really have a set practice for it because sure. different pieces kind of ask me for different things. But uh, recently I, I'd been adapting some music, some songs that we've been writing in a collaborative project that will be coming out later this year, I believe, hopefully, I'm knocking on wood right now, um, which is a collaboration between my band, The Databats, and this fantastic uh, operatic metal solo act called Synesthesia, very oh. uh, conveniently. <laughs> um, and uh, Alia, who's the um, the the magnificent creative force behind it she uh she was really really incredible to work with and also a fair like it, it, it's intimidating to write vocal parts for you know yourself on tracks with an opera singer that's like not the uh, not the easiest thing to do but it was a really really great experience and I've been translating my lyrics that I wrote for that project into a vispo project and then wow. I found that um, one of the pieces, uh, Epicentrum, which was published in the first issue of Held Magazine in, uh, I want to say, end of October last year. Um, so that's that's available online if anyone wants to check it out. Held is a really great magazine that uh, operates out of the um, the Guelph, uh, creative, Guelph Humber Creative Writing MFA program. I'll put up the link when I'm writing the show notes so I'll get it all together. Oh, great. I'll, I'll send it to you. Um, and if there are any other uh, things that we end up touching on, I can send you a list uh, later on with the links in it. Um, that piece, when I had the opportunity to present it, I was like, well, shit, you know, I, I, I'm not going to use the song, but what can I do here? And ended up developing it into its own sort of sound piece, which takes part of the recording and manipulates it, inverts it and loops it while I play affected samples that I pre-recorded of the different components of the of, of the lyrics and run loops of my breathing at the same time and it, it sounds a little bit obtuse but I think it, it came out really beautifully and I it made me feel so excited about like um kind of this like remix potential I like I, I mean I love a remix who doesn't love a remix yeah I like I like a, I like the re remixing um text um mm -hmm. I, don't have to, I haven't learned how to remix and work with sound like you I'm mm -hmm. I, that's not my uh something I've gotten into I can see it but I, mm -hmm. I have I, I, I always say with sound poetry, um, um, I never, it, uh, here in Ottawa, we have a very good, uh, we have um, some very good sound, sound, uh, perform, sound performance mm -hmm. stuff, but it was, it was uh, you know, originally, at least the kind that I've heard about was all, like the Four Horsemen is all mm -hmm. male. Yes. And, you know, and the other thing too is that as much as I, I, I think those guys were great, I kind of get turned off a lot by some of the loud. It just hurt. I have this thing where loud sounds sort of mm -hmm. bother. Absolutely, yeah. And stuff, I don't do well with. Even though I, 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 I always would sound, which I'm so happy it exists. Mm -hmm. And there's lots of many. There's lots of varieties and stuff. But I, I'd like to see more. I'd like to hear more about the women involved, and uh, I'd like to hear about more women being involved. So that's why I'm. And not that you you classify yourself necessarily in, under mm -hmm. those terms, but it's part mm -hmm. of your sound. You interact. Absolutely. With sound. So yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated. Mm -hmm. And I, I love the way you do it. Also that I remember that performance because the work was about uh, the, the, the cephalopods and, and also it had those sea sounds, right? So that mm -hmm. was quite, 
that was quite fun. I mean, that's interesting. And it just, it just, it was quite a mesmerizing performance yeah. too. Thank and you I so much. To, oh, you're welcome. And going back to the, the book as well in the, and we're talking about um, also uh, visual art. You, you have uh, in the, towards the back of the book, can't know if I can find it, but you talk about the process where you turn, where you sort of glitch an image and things. And that's quite interesting too. And I think at some point here, I have a question about, um, can you talk, which is further down, but since we're mm -hmm. talking about, can sure. you talk about the glitch poems and visual poems in this book and glitch in general? I see them as a way to disrupt, deconstruct, and also help to question the act of reading and what we read and how we take things in. That sounds wise to me. I didn't. I, I wonder when I wrote <laughs> that. But yeah, so glitch, glitching, and also the the uh, how you how you glitch the uh, the visual pieces mm -hmm. in here. Yeah, in yeah. It's it's always an interesting sort of um, to consider the approach because there's really so many different forms and techniques that one could engage in for visual poetry. Um, for this particular project, I was really inspired by scientific diagrams. I love yeah. them <laughs> and I would come across them a lot in research, which is kind of why these are, they're like figures one through, I want to say seven, but there might be more than that. If there aren't, I think I need to make more than that. But uh, There must be more than seven. There. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's quite a few. Um, and so I would, uh, these ones, I, I started them with uh, doing black and white, um, uh, what do you call it? Like watercolor and ink illustrations. Yeah. And then I would scan them and open them up digitally in a program that lets me play with the hex codes. And it gives you two columns. So you have your, um, your subtractive uh, method and your additive method. I prefer the additive method. And uh, something that's like pretty exciting about glitch work is that depending on what kind of program or what kind of technique you're using, you can like have very little or very a lot of control. And I liked this method because I have less control over the outcome of the image, although I know sort of some of the basic effects that, that could be produced, but this allowed me to be really intentional while also kind of letting go of control over the outcome and, and, and the final image. So I would take excerpts from the poem that the animal that I'd drawn was related to, and I would just stick them into the code and just keep adding more and putting it in different spots and seeing what happened until um, until I felt satisfied or sufficiently excited by by the finished product. Um, I don't always use this method, but it is one of my favorite ones for poetry to at least run a little bit of a pass to to really embed the poem into the image, even as like text may then be added or um, something more recognizably poetic, I suppose. But I really um, I really like to experiment with a lot of different uh, different techniques. And especially when it comes to visual poetry, there are just endless, endless opportunities. But unfortunately, it's it's tricky to remind myself that I need to stick to black and white as much as possible. I'll have oh, to keep yeah. Judith's words in mind and maybe start shifting into more of these like hopefully like friendly with grayscale kind of colors and finishes this that's why yeah. I, I stuck to black and white for this particular project because i knew that that's what would get it printed you know it is a bit heartbreaking how expensive it is to to print color works oh expensive like, and i understand why like it just it's it is but i mean mm -hmm. i know that that's why a lot of the times a lot of my my stuff can only be really um you know published online like a lot of the visual poems because mm -hmm. uh, I often have a lot of color in them too. 
You have two you mentioned in the in the foot. I guess in the in the end notes in the book, you mentioned these fractal programs you were playing with as well. So mm-hmm. that's that's also cool. I I started to look them up, but I I, I got I got distracted by something else, and I didn't finish, <laughs> which is typical of me, really. But uh, it sounds really. I, I'm very interested in that. So anything like that. Mm-hmm. I I mean, I just just for uh, fun um, to do like the the sort of there's a program I can call what is it called photo photo mosh that, that okay yeah I mean just plays like it's not a real mm-hmm. glitch, but it does glitchy things so you can you can yeah and I've been playing with that a lot uh, of late too so all that stuff is fun uh, I think it was 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 it was Kate or Danny and I wish I could remember Kate Seclosi or Danny Spinoza mm-hmm. uh, probably both of them actually have said this yeah. at point that talked about um one reason for visual poetry is just because it's fun to play with like it's it fun is it's fun that's a valid reason. Like we always think of, well, what about the reader side? But I mean, I think I'm just going to start answering. Why do you make visual poetry? Mm-hmm. Because it's fun to make. Like you know, yeah. that's all it needs to be. Is it's just it's just fun. You know? And I think I think fun is like super valuable. <laughs> like life is, you know, kind of miserable, kind of terrible, yeah. and very difficult. Um, fun, fun keeps you sharp. It 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 relaxes you, but it focuses you it calibrates you um and it 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 just allows you to move through all of the sort of complications of existence and from like a performance perspective um i feel like this also translates to to creations for the page but you know when you're up there and you're having fun and you're celebrating yourself and enjoying it, the audience really responds to that. I mean, sometimes they need to see you having fun to know that they're like allowed to have fun too, that this doesn't have to be that serious, you know? And, and there's something very serious about fun and vice versa. Like it, it doesn't have to be frivolous. And even if it is, I mean, I don't really want to live a life that's free of frivolity. I know. You know? Well, I have, I, I, that's one of the things, I, I, and your book uh, actually uh, corresponds to my main missions and creative missions, but missions in general, which is uh, whimsy, um, exploration, and connection with others. So you have all those elements in your book as well. So that's you, fantastic. And, and practice in your work, but that's important for me in my work as well. I, at one point, I was listening to uh, um, the, uh, I, I have, I had the chapbook and the CD that you gave me. And I, I found the CD, but where I put the chapbook, I, but I was listening <laughs> to uh, the databats of water while writing mm. on my questions. And it's just so great. I, there's a real mesmerizing rhythmic nature to it. And there's rhythm in your poems too. I mean, sometimes there's rhyme, there's form mm-hmm. and things like that. So, so um, and the ocean, the music and the ocean in your poems is one of the things I say. So can you talk about the role of sound and rhythm in your poetry? Absolutely. I, I love sound. I love rhythm. I love, um, I love the way poetry feels in the body. I love the way it feels in the ears, in the hands, in the mouth, in the breath. It's, it's a deeply embodied practice for me and sound and rhythms are just, you know, they're such a great concrete, but also really like lyrical and imaginative expression of that. I, I do tend to read my work aloud when I'm writing and when I'm yes. editing, um, because you, you sometimes find, you know, the sonic logic that undergirds something that, and it may be more important than perhaps like a, a semantic logic. 
And it's nice to see also the way that those things play off of each other, where they create dissonance and whether that's something I want to court or not. Um, It just it's such a necessary dimension. Um, And it's really interesting to do work that is sometimes only sonic or only visual because they don't they don't always know how to play with each other. Um, I think until I was uh, trying this more recent uh, visual poem remixing in back into sound where it started as sound, I think maybe that act of like translating and readapting and then seeing the way that it mutates, maybe that's part of how I can come up with some sort of synthesis therein. But again, I don't know. It's still, it's multiple streams that maybe can't all be simultaneously enjoyed, but each work is multidimensional and can kind of be its own project in this way. Like in some ways it's like people sometimes ask you, you know, how do you know when a poem is done? And it's like, what is done? (laughs) I don't know what that means. I know when it's, it's, it's ready to be presented as what it is, but that, that is, is something that's in flux. And when it changes, when it needs to change, I will, I'll have to adapt it. I'll have to adapt with it. Yeah, makes sense to me. One of the things too, I was I was laughing a lot in, 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 because there's so much fun in, in the book. The, that list of saint names with, with, with <laughs> I had so much fun with those I, puns. <laughs> I, was, I was laughing, and I was trying to come up with them, but I don't know enough about about uh, mm-hmm. cephalopods. But I I just kept sticking sticking squid in, so I'm going like uh, Saint Hildegard van Squidigan, you know, and stuff like that. I'm just, <laughs> like trying it out myself. Like, I love it. It was so much fun. I like, love that. And, and you really do like the wordplay and the puns and stuff like I, that. I so, so do. Yeah, me too. I, I people, I, I, if I can't get a good groan out of someone over a pun, I haven't, I haven't done my job. You know, so <laughs> I, was, um, I um, also, I found the work also engages with the white male literary talent, mm. Robert Frost and William Carlos Williams, uh, and here's a leading question. What made you want to do so? <laughs> I like that one. I do too. Objection. She's leading the witness. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Objection. She is the witness. Uh-huh. Um, so uh, what I would say, <laughs> so I, I read, um, I read a lot and while I'd say I'm still fairly omnivorous in my like literary tastes, poetry is definitely the vast majority. It composes yeah. like, the vast majority of what I read um, when I committed to poetry as my like primary creative form, which was probably around 16, 17 years ago, something like that. Um, I started just reading it constantly, like not exclusively, but I was always yeah. reading poetry. Um, and this was in some ways kind of based on that concept that, you know, you need to learn the fundamentals before yeah. you can develop your own style or before you can like develop your working relationship with the medium. And then, you know, if you want to subvert or break whatever rules may exist, you, you need to know them first, that kind of thing. Um, But I now feel that like the principal value in this canon, this white male canon, it's not simply what it can offer me as a thinker or as a writer or you know, a a person with whatever sensitivities to literature, but how can it be a tool for my own creation? Um, Which is to say like, not what it can do for, for me, but what I can do with it. Um, As with anything that's not like strictly chosen, although that's like 
a massive topic of its own that I won't (laughs) be getting into too much. Uh, Suffice it to say, like, if this is canon and if this is what I am, I, I am having to accept as canon, what I'm being told is canon and what is being, you know, given to us, but also foisted upon us in some ways, yeah. then it absolutely belongs to me. And it certainly is mine to play with. Um, but not in a sense of taking ownership over it, you know, like I love to share my toys. Everyone yep. can play, everyone is welcome. But the, if this is, you know, the the grounding for how I was led to understand poetry, it at minimum, it, it, it makes sense for me to have it as, as a tool in, in, in a hypothetical proverbial toolbox. But more than that, it's, I do find play is often a way that one can show reverence, but that's not really what's happening here. I, I'm definitely being a little more irreverent, a little more glib and um, just having, having, having fun sometimes often with, with their work, but sometimes definitely like knowingly and intentionally at their expense. Yeah, and I mean, that's just, fine. They're dead. They don't care. They're not hurt by this. They don't give a shit. It's just the version too. And the thing that gets me is a lot of times, like the work that I really know by, like, I don't really care about knowing work by heart. It's not something mm-hmm. that I, I worry about, but the poems that I do seem to know by heart are all those sorts of poems. Like all the, you know, like my father, did, you know, he, he would recite the, the charge of light brigade poem, oh, you know, yes. whatever it, all those sort of stuff. And mm-hmm. I know all that, or, or like, or the rhyme of the ancient mariner, like all mm. of those you know, colonialist voices are what Absolutely. I, what I know. And it's like, it, you know, I mean, so I think taking it and then making it your own and also converting mm-hmm. it and working with this is very cool. And I, I thought of um, Joshua Whitehead's full metal and digiqueer. Which oh, is such a good book. Yeah. It's, I love that book so much. Like, um, and uh, Joshua re- rewrites the poems from the canon so so brilliantly. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh yeah, this is an echo. I feel like that was reverberating yeah. for me with that. So, and it's yeah, kind of I a fun way to. Oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. Uh, it's it's like it's just kind of a fun way to like throw it back and to be yeah. you know so much of what I've had sort of pushed on me as many different facets of identity are these colonial products these products of the colonial imagination but it's like you can also sort of flip the lens around and be like yeah bitch i see you too this That's is right. you know where you are not the only speaker the only thinker here um in a lot of ways and i would i, I mean i'm not saying that's not part of the fun that's definitely part of the fun but there's um there is like uh, an, an incisive um kind of wire little filament that is running through the core of a lot of this experimentation um that edge which is also necessary for survival it's not just play which i think is also hugely important for survival for me anyway well also aside from the the white male canon there's also interactions with uh for instance islam and things like that as Mm -hmm. well but um You've got Knight of Power, for instance, which yeah, is, a lot of people that, don't catch that reference. Actually, well, I I looked it up because okay. I saw I, you have you have the notes there. I mean, you give me mm. notes. Oh, well, that's true. I, I forgot I, to put that in the notes. <laughs> well, you know, you put what you put in is is you put the reference to the um to mm-hmm. the ode that it was from, and then and then from there I went to to look yeah. it up. And several different ways in English that it's it's. But then I went back. And I, mm-hmm. I mean, I find that too. Like 
even you have that freedom you have as well like you have mm-hmm. those interact with um you know some of the um religious and cultural um things uh, mm-hmm. as well and so there's all kinds of um interactions inquiries into that investigations and and um dare i say maybe defiance you know against <laughs> some of those cultural things that have, uh, you know. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I would say I wrote any of those pieces in a spirit of defiance, but I, I do, I can definitely see that as like a, a possibility in, in the poems. Um, Night of Power in particular, that was more about my, this this was one of the more, like, uh, more autobiographical poems. I love that which poem. A lot of them are not, but oh, thank you. Um, well, that's why we get speaker of the poem, because you don't, you don't. Absolutely. Um, and even, like, the speaker of the poem is is a spotted reef crab as well, which is not me, but it yeah. also isn't, you know, not not me. Um, <laughs> but it was more exploring kind of my personal journey toward atheism, um, yeah. because I do still identify as a Muslim, and I do identify as atheist. Um from my personal perspective, it's an agnostic form of atheism because I, at least at this point in my life, I don't believe that such a thing is knowable or perceivable, at least not by me. Um, but I'm open to that not being the case. Things change all the time. Um, but it was interesting to me to kind of explore um, in the context of Leil Tulkadar was always really, really special to me as a child. You know, I always kind of felt like this is it. This is where I'm going to like, I'm going to feel God, you know, like it's, I will, I'll be able to know. And I really, um, I, I, I think my relationship with atheism, at least because I grew up with a lot of uh, mostly white peers, I had a very different experience of it where like, I wanted to find it. I wanted to understand and I wanted, like, belief seemed not reductive to me, but something that would just, you know, enrich a lot of my understandings of the world. And I looked for it really, really hard. And I, I, I never found it. And so I am, what am I trying to say? I'm very much at peace with that. It doesn't, right. it doesn't provide me with a sense of conflict at all anymore. And it hasn't for like, well, like decades, I would say, but it was something that was a challenging and interesting journey for me. I, I had to write about it. I had to make a poem and it was, um, the, uh, Sapia Latamanis that's being described in that poem is a broad club cuttlefish and, they have these like really incredible, like mesmerizing displays that seem to very, like very much mesmerize their prey. You see them sort of frozen prone before the, uh, the radula shoots out. And it's, it's really uh, quite a gorgeous and interesting concept. And I was thinking about how even to the crab who would see, you know, this one system to then see, the descent of, of, of the maw of a cartilaginous reef shark that eats them both. Um, so, it, I mean, it, it ends up sounding like sort of a violent and fatalistic idea, but I, I found it very spiritually affirming. <laughs> and um, so, so that's really where some of that play was coming from. And then with Frida Nikabi, this one has a lot more for me to do with uh, the experience of uh, working in hospitals where there would be a lot of construction going on. So they would have like a rotating chapel as opposed to like the one room that people would go to. And 
I was really uh, intrigued by this concept of a rotating chapel and the way that the uh, spirula, spirula, ram's horn squid, as it's called, um, it carries uh, a functional internal shell, which almost no extant cephalopods do. And I was thinking about the way that that might be it carrying its own, its own interior chapel. And at the same time, sort of cross-referencing this with a very sort of paternalistic white, uh, sort of Christian aligned atheist uh, perspective on Muslims and on the niqab. Right. I, 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 I actually looked up, um, I had to watch a video uh, about the uh, spirula and see that green light. I was, uh, that was exciting too. Wow. It's like, so recent that we've actually been able to see it in situ. Uh, I was, I was watching that dive live on YouTube when it was happening. And I just like, oh my God, I almost threw my phone across the room. I was so excited. It's real. And it hangs in this completely different posture than you're expecting. And the green light is so beautiful. And even more ghostly than I was expecting, but still very like saturated and vibrant. Oh my God, what, what a treat. This is a world of wonder that like, I've, I've, I knew a little mm. bit about this stuff, mm -hmm. sort of barely any, and now you've introduced me to a world of wonder. And uh, so it's quite exciting. I'm so year. glad. It's really exciting. And yeah, like I was, I was this morning, I was sitting with my, I like to, I always like to read, like I, I've read the book usually before when I, when mm -hmm. I, when I, come up with questions but I always like to sit the morning out that's why I like to have the interviews in the afternoon because I then sit in the morning I had I had a, a good cup of tea a Himalayan chai actually which is really delicious oh, yeah. it's got um black tea cardamom ginger oh cardamom. I love it's cardamom it's exquisite and it mm -hmm. comes from world of tea for product placement but anyway it's <laughs> not a place you can buy it online my favorite uh, tea place to oh, get that's tea. Nice. Yeah. sitting and reading this this book and I was using my phone. I was, I would, and I, I often don't do that until like the first time around, I just read. And then the mm -hmm. second time around, I would, so I was just Googling and looking at videos. And so of course I was taking the whole morning to go through the book. It was just fantastic. It was just like, I was just, I was just surrounded with so much wonder and it just got me, got me thinking all kinds of great thoughts. And so, so it's just, and it made me very happy to experience that. It was, that's wonderful. It was that's like, that's the dream, you know, for people yeah, to, be excited. Oh, I guess I should have said that in terms of like, what's something you want people to know about your book. You can look at your phone, you know, look things yeah. up, do whatever kind of research you want. Like I, you don't have to get it all from the page if you don't want to. There's so many more ways to like flesh it out. But also, I mean, you, that there's definitely no obligation, but I can't imagine cutting yourself off from this like incredible incredible field of knowledge and there's just increasingly so much beautiful footage like the the camera technology and everything that's really so much more science that's becoming like free and accessible in this way as well and the oh, ammonite the shape the ammonite mm. shape very like because that was that was very because it was repeated in your in your in your visual mm -hmm. work too. and i kept and I, I love the idea of the ammonite, first of all. And that, that, yeah. So that's all very mathematical and interesting. Mm -hmm. I love the way math plays into uh, like all, all of the sort of like scientific elements that like they're in no way opposed to poetry, opposed to art. Oh. I mean, so much of even even like like color is math, color is physics, it's it's light, it's it's so many things. And um, I don't like thinking of them as being extricable from each other. And I don't like to practice my poetry in a way that that 
requires me to separate science or even math, which is something I have. I, I like appreciate math, but it doesn't, I don't really understand it on a, on a, on a fundamental level. It, it, it feels very abstract to me, which I think is maybe a strange thing to say about something like mathematics, which I think is meant to be very concrete, but yeah, it no, feels yeah, very I, abstract. I, I, the thing I, I, it, I never, I think today, if I were to go back and math was taught better than it was when I was a kid mm-hmm. and girls were not expected, not like, I mean, we had some, we had, um, this one uh, male teacher in, in junior high who was who was very mean to the girls Ugh. in the class and called a little dozen called us names and sort mm-hmm. of uh, held up the boys and like it was very old fashioned kind yeah. of. I mean, and then I had a really great math teacher, Mrs. Sertam, who uh, played uh, bingo, math bingo, Sertam's oh, bingo pensa. And if you want, like with math, if you won, you got a pen, a pencil oh. that actually Sertam's. Sir Tam's bingo bonanza. So I always wanted that. That's so charming. I never really got, I mean, I haven't really gotten into math per se, but uh, when I did linguistics as an undergrad at U of T um, and I had this phenomenal um, instructor, Elizabeth Cowper, I mean, she was kind of a well-known linguist at the okay. time. And her classes were these huge classes at, in a big lecture hall at, at U of T at Victoria mm-hmm. College. And linguistics was the first time where I really understood math and language were so close like that because the formulas like there were formulas to calculate mm-hmm. you know the the sort of relationship between the parts of speech and and wow. you know, the so yeah so i finally understood the point of it because uh, i didn't understand it before that <laughs> so, so, <laughs> as a kid I was just like this is boring and i would turn the, of course I, I see colors when it comes to numbers as well so i would mix up four and five because four is a blue and five is a green. So I would, as a kid, I would mix them up. So, you know, and I would just turn the little characters into numbers into characters yeah. as stories. So I was not interested in those, but I've become, my brain has added, been able to add a bit more interest in logic as I mm-hmm. worked more in poetry and linguistics and stuff. So, oh yeah. Sure. But speaking of like, actually the mathematical thing makes me think too of, of games too. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of interactive um, poems in the book and books that, and poems that look like you know they're they're diagrams and things too they have all kinds of associations with math and science and, and graphs and things so are games a part of your practice like like for instance creative prompts and do you have a childhood history associated with them well um with respect to puzzles i just like i yeah. love puzzles i i just i enjoy puzzles. them so much i i like to do uh like word and logic puzzles and like sudoku yeah. and stuff like that like i'll often do like them every day uh sometimes in the morning when i'm having some tea and just like making notes for what i need to do next um they even though i don't always finish them or i don't always do them right i just the the act of doing them is uh so exciting to me and i like the way they provide you with all these different frameworks and different ways of aggregating information and really shaping information. And it really makes me think about the relationships between the different categories, the way that they're laid out. And I, I love just applying that to poetry. And I, I haven't done many more um poetry puzzles beyond the ones that are in this collection. I've done a few other ones, but it's, it's very challenging sometimes, like even just drafting like the word search and, and, and the crossword puzzles, like just making sure that it can fit to a page, making sure that you actually have enough 
squares. Like I, when I first started doing the um, the word search, I think I had to run it through four or five times because I kept miscalculating the actual area that I would need and how many letters I would need. I would have left over to make my poem. And it was um, like a, a really fun experience, but definitely a challenge. I mean, I, I find challenges fun as well, but it was um, something that I really enjoyed. And I also, I like games um, and I like puzzles as games because there are things that you can do by yourself. Yeah. I like interaction and I love playing games with people, but I love to be by myself. <laughs> I like it um, probably a lot more than being with people. Um, yeah. At least, uh, like, aside from my partner, um, that's uh, that's a very different experience. Yes. But we also can can still give each other a lot of independent space. But you can be it, companionable without having to entertain one another. That's a, that's a side absolutely of yeah. Like I, I I do feel you know enriched by his presence, yeah. but sometimes it can still be like a very chill kind of uh, independent yeah. thing, and uh, it's it, it's very nice to be working on different creative pursuits in the same exactly. space. Yeah. I, I find that really inspiring and it really like helps get me in a great, uh, great creative headspace as well. In the back of your book, you have also, you have a, a hashtag for people. If you have a, a list of words that people can uh, remix and also create their own work from. So I, I fully intend to do that. So oh, just, that's just, so great. I'm really yeah, looking forward to it. Ideas uh, based on your book and things I'd like to do, uh, um, some visual poetry stuff, especially. Mm. So I don't know. I'm. I may end up being a chapbook or something. I don't know because I've got so many ideas. Just that would from be one. amazing. Yes. I would love um, to see that. Yeah, that it, it would be a lot of fun uh, to do that. Mm. I mean, I just, I really, uh, um, I engage well with your sense of play because that's my, you know, I talk mm -hmm. about that's something that I really engage with. Well, it make it it makes me think, right? That's I did I did the word search and I had a lot, especially and I had a lot of fun and I was really I felt very good about the reward of the poem at the because I really like that poem it's in the book too so but I won't spill it it was it was good it was a little bit of a it was a little riddle so that was kind of mm. it was it was beautiful and anyway, the whole book um, do you have any upcoming readings I don't have anything booked right no now but um, I recently did an interview for this um, really great series with Guernica editions where it's, uh, oh, yeah. I think called Poets uh, Saint Cassette. Where they and, do it on YouTube. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so I, I did have the opportunity to do a little bit of reading during that right. one. I was speaking with Grace Lau and, um, oh crap, I've just forgotten the name of her book. Hold on, I have to look it up. Sorry. No, and-, and I, Oh, I remember yeah, now. It's the language yeah. we were never taught to speak. It was such a good book. I read it like three times to prepare for the, the interview and I really, really enjoyed it. I watched one of those. Is, is yours already up? Is that one already it up? It went up pretty recently, yeah. Okay, um, so I haven't seen that one, but I saw another one and I can't remember who the pairing was, but it was a really good, it was a really interesting one and I really enjoyed it. I thought it was an interesting mm. pairing. It was, it was basically someone who was maybe doing, well, they both were, they're both, I don't know, I can't remember anything, but I just mm -hmm. remember I enjoyed it. This is the yeah, problem. It's, it's a really cool series. Like I've only watched, uh, I think one and a half of the other ones, uh, one which had Danny Spinoza, which was fantastic. That's what I saw. And I love That's her. What I saw. Okay. It was so Danny, engaging. I'm such a huge, I'm a, such a groupie of Danny's that I will pretty oh much. Oh my God, aren't we all? Yes. Her, her, her latest, this manifesto, Visual Poetry for Women by Anne Struther Press. It's excellent. It's amazing. Oh, I haven't I, picked I that one like, up yet. I feel like it should I'm gonna write it down. be told in, 
conjunction with Judith. Like they should have basically wow. gone together because they it works with and she kindly mentions Judith in the in the thing. But yes, yeah, get it before it's gone because I don't know how many copies I'll have. Yeah, well, and so Judith stuff sells really quickly sometimes. Yeah. yeah. This is this is this is an empowering, enriching mm. thing. Um, um, basically, uh, women should take a, you know basically um, um, take on the um, sort of just do their own thing basically and yeah put put in a much better way than I can mm. I can put as as my brain starts to think. <laughs> Uh, is there it anything was nice else to like- see? Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, no go ahead. Um, I was just going to say it was really cool to see uh, that particular interview because Danny also works in these really visual forms. So to hear her read and perform some of that work really yeah. illuminates, um, wow. like how dimensional something like that can be. I thought that was really exciting. Um, and while I don't have any uh, readings booked outside of interviews right now, um, I'm basically I'm always game. So if anyone hears this and they want to book me, you can get she in did. touch with my publishers or. I guess me <laughs> um, on social media. Link. Yeah. I'll have the links up as well. So I can also put up your, your Twitter account. Perfect. We'll That's a want. great idea. I always ask people first because not everyone wants that. That's true. Sure. Some people it's, it's not, maybe not a creative uh, Twitter outlet. It's just, you know, for fun or for shit posts and stuff like that, or, or for depressed. something more private. That's it. Or to get depressed over all the negative stuff. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. So, um, yeah. What about yeah? So, uh, I guess uh, is there anything else? I, I'm going to ask you if you'd like to read something. But before that, um, mm-hmm. is there anything else you'd like to talk about about uh, before we we we? Mm. Gosh, that's that's a it's a wonderful question, but it's, it's so open. open. I'm like, I w- I'd love to talk about anything. I like so many different <laughs> things. Um, okay, I'm going to ask you a question if that's okay. Oh, um, is there? Any particular piece that maybe wasn't your favorite, but the one that you've thought about the most or that you come back to the most in the collection? Well, yeah, I, I mentioned Night of Power already, mm-hmm. which is one of the things that are um, un, un, underlying, I mean, um, that are uh, so many of these that are. Oh, I, I, one thing I want to mention too is um, in uh, Morphology and Anatomy, Australitethus, Greek, ah. I love uh, one thing that that one. Reminded me quite a bit. And another one reminded me of some of Judith Coppathorne's early handwritten work. So I actually find- really love her early handwritten yeah, work. I found it super inspiring. And because um, I, I, I really like to write things out by hand, but it, it felt to me like, you know, that's not really poetry or like I, I'm not really allowed to think of it as poetry until I started seeing some of her work. And I was really, really impressed by that. Probably that must have been around 2010, I think, that I was seeing it. And I was like, this, this is really showing me a lot of potential, a lot of dynamism, a lot of mapping. And um, I really liked how like elongated her letters were. It, it just yeah. really felt exciting. Well, I'll send you the link to some of her earlier work too from uh, that you can see on Ubu uh, web. Oh, um, I would love to see that. Some of the handwritten stuff, I think, mm. especially, well, you, I think you'll see some resonance there with your, handwritten uh, work because she was she did that a lot early on I don't know if she's doing that so much now she most is working mm-hmm. with illustrator these days which is very cool yeah super cool um vulgaris especially I, I really especially like the part two being a grown-up but uh, was that something you, you want there's a spiritual mound and being a grown-up yeah that's the uh, that I love those uh, that those mm. uh, at home next little bit I mean I love so much of this book but yeah that second second um being a grown-up is, is pretty damn effective. 
<laughs> that was a really fun one to write and a little bit, a little nerve wracking in some respects because it was, um, I was doing a, a podcast with the, uh, the Slack cast that used to be run with the uh, Slack line reading series that used to run out of Burdock Brewery. And yeah, I, um, I think I approve, but I don't, because I'm not yeah, sure. I don't, uh, that makes sense. Yeah. And I, I'm not sure. I don't think the series is still in operation, but it, it was it was a pretty cool series. A lot of people involved. And I um, saw a lot of people read and perform that I thought were really interesting. But the way they uh, had it set up, we did like a sort of a back and forth discussion for a while. And then we took 15 minutes to write. And then we came back and shared what we what right. we had done. So that was <laughs> like... Um, I don't write longhand very often when I'm drafting a poem, um, even when it's one that's going to be handwritten, like it starts you typically on a screen. Yeah. And uh, that's just it, it. It's just I don't know. It just it's a lot easier for me. So that alone was a challenge. Um, there's a sense when you write a word that you're sort of more committed to it than when you type it. Oh, you can make it disappear in what? such an easy way, you know, even if I'm crossing it out like this, this mark remains, you know, there. I write in pen also. So maybe that has something to do with it, that I'm not using pencil. Um, so there's this like element of codification that can sometimes come along with it. Um, so it was largely uh, free, not exactly free writing, but something very right. close to that. Um, the line breaks are quite similar to how they turned out, but I definitely finessed um the visual presentation to give yeah. it just, just to strengthen what I wanted. And uh, I really ended up just, I loved it a lot. I loved the ending and mm -hmm. it was a little, it was a little scary to write so quickly and then to read it in that way. And to, you know, to say things like blood fucking, it feels a little scary sometimes, especially when you know <laughs> you're being recorded, but I mean, Hey, here I am. Here you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So did you want to read something? Or, or, Absolutely. Um, I'm just, I'm not sure what I'm going to read. I wrote down a few selections. Um, and now that we've talked, I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe something different. So let me. Yeah, that's what I figured. If I said, if I said something like, well, now we're <laughs> gonna... so I was afraid to say a is that we read oh, no, no, it's it's not at all. Like, it's exciting. Um, OK, so I think I'm going to read uh, two or three pieces. This first poem is called The Octopus Complex. It is a found poem, which is composed of um, words from the titles of a number of books that I read, I think, in uh, a few months between uh, like a, a selection a selected series of months, I guess, in 2017. And it is otherwise free verse. And it is, I think, on page uh, 53 of the collection, or 52, apparently. So if any of you are reading along while you're listening, please feel free to check it out on the page. The Octopus Complex. Flowering transmission, the wrapped heart hypothesis. I, what voodoo traces, am marine exhalations. I clone wanted reflections, inflections, departures, reperspirations, the soft look meridian. Focus your understanding, love was the knife. How poetry, the floating science, here, I, the discovery to life. This next poem is called Free the Nikabi, and we discussed it a little bit earlier in this podcast. It is a villanelle, and um, 
I highly encourage you to look up the creature Spirula Spirula online. It is extremely beautiful. Just a really, really wonderful, um, wonderful recent observation. Free the Nikabi. Derided as weak, compliant, forlorn, I am Spirula, ram's horn, Spirula, inhaled through my siphon, exhaled, transformed. Ageless oaths hiss along my phragmacone, thick with propulsive coloratura, derided as weak, compliant, forlorn, pining in blindness since she was first born, withering beneath brutal undula. Inhaled through my siphon, exhaled, transformed, both tentacles and all eight arms forsworn, traded like stock, she'll never find true love. Derided as weak, compliant, forlorn, Jasminum sambac so cruelly conformed, cloaked in my viridian nebula, inhaled through my siphon, exhaled, transformed. Bobbing to azure or sighing past stone, I am spirula, ram's head, spirula, derided as weak, compliant, forlorn, inhaled through my siphon, exhaled, transformed. And this last poem is called Believe It or Not, and you can find it on page 66 of the collection. Sorry, I forgot to give you the page number for the last one, but you can you can flip through. There's, a, there's an index or a table of contents anyway. Um, this is a triolet poem, and it I'm reading it choosing to read it on this podcast because we are nearing um, a period of time which holds a significant personal grief for me. And this poem wasn't written around that. It was written significantly before that, but it was um, one that I returned to a lot in processing. And uh, I'm not going to talk too much about that because this is time for me to read a poem and not time for me to cry on a podcast for you. So here we are. Believe it or not. Encroaching senescence, a discharge of spores, concession of essence, encroaching senescence, plant obsolescence, rings of blooming stars, encroaching senescence. The discharge of spores. And that's that. Thanks for a secret. That was that was terrific. That was really I gotta switch yeah. my headphones. Sorry, I can't right. hear you once I yeah. all right, yeah. That was that was terrific. And so uh, uh, the book Cephalopography 2.0 can be purchased uh, from many independent bookstores, I'm sure, but also from Wolsack and Wynn. And I will put up the uh, link so you can you can get the book if you don't have it already. I was going to ask you, too, if you have a SoundCloud or anything, because... Uh, you know what? To- I we, we have one for the band, but okay. I've been really meaning to get one of my own. I was really excited about the idea of um, putting out a vinyl later this year but uh, with everything that's happened over the pandemic I'm not sure if you know there's there's at least a a 12-month waiting period on any vinyl globally 
So it's going to take a while, <laughs> but maybe, um, I, I think I might just shift and, and, and produce a bunch of digital work because, uh, oh, it's, it's so much fun to do these, these pieces. And I, I would love for them to be more accessible to people. Um, vinyl, I guess is maybe a little more of a vanity project. I just think it'd be <laughs> super neat, you know, it's pretty neat, but I mean, I haven't had vinyl in years. I was, I was one of those people who, uh, well, growing up with all the technologies mm-hmm. as I came being. So, so, you know, when the, when the record player kind of, when they said, no, no, the, uh, the eight track tape yes. is the next big thing. You need to get that. No, the mm-hmm. cassette is the next big thing. No, the disc <laughs> is the next big. So every next big thing I have gotten, mm-hmm. and then, of course, they not having room for all these things, you know, they all went, but I, I used That's to have true. my sister is a decade, my sister and my brother are a decade and 12 years older than me. So I had all their old records and all. Oh, how nice. So I had, at one point, like I gave them to my, my nephew at a certain point, but uh, yeah, so I used to have a big vinyl collection mm-hmm. and stuff. All those days are over, and it's nice to see people rediscovering a game with more space in their place than me. <laughs> so uh, that's it. That's well, that was terrific. Is there anything else we? Sh- I, I like to finish off usually with um, with a note of uh, praise, um, which I almost I was so interested in the poems I almost forgot to read it. So <laughs> let me read this. So cephalopagar. Oh my gosh, I can't even read. Okay, cephalopagar. Oh, there you go. I, I've said it now it's, twice. It's, it's a it's a mouthful. It's a tongue twister. It's great. It, it's fun. It's fun. It's a fun word. You only need mm-hmm. to say it with pop rocks as well, and you'll have quite a party. Oh my gosh, wouldn't that be an interesting thing to do? Like with with a yeah. poem. Like I've I've sometimes um because I don't know if you know like if you um if you were to use a hydrophone, which is basically like a microphone for water, um, okay. over say uh, different types of shrimp, they sound it sounds like popcorn. They make noises that oh, are very similar to that. Yeah. And um, occasionally for, I, I've done loops of just like um, sort of augmented little like clicking, mouth clicking noises to kind of yeah. give that impression before. But I could have just put pop rocks on like one side of my mouth. <laughs> I think I might try I'll, that. If you find them still, I, I haven't seen them in a long time. Oh, but that's a good point. I will I try really to read. Looked. I will try to read this without the pop rocks. <laughs> Cephalopography 2.0 is a thoughtful and playful collection of poems that manage to be both personal and whimsical, imaginative, and built on the realities of heritage and family and not fitting in with and not fitting in with vivid and sensual imagery. They're fitting in with vivid and sensual imagery. I don't know. I don't like my modified anyway. The work is a <laughs> radical dismantling of the white male literary canon and an homage to the beautiful and underappreciated creatures that dwell in the fountains of the sea. It is an all singing, all dancing, all listening, art soaked delight of rituals and rhythms. So there's my praise for you. I love that. That, that you. feels really great to hear. And um, I, I can't thank you enough that this was super fun and as as difficult as it is to accept praise um (laughs) it's super exciting too to hear this kind of um this kind of like really focused and engaged feedback on what to this point has been my life's work you know this collection has been just a huge part of my life and while I've I have been writing just a whole bunch of other stuff since then it it's still I think it's always going to be like just extremely special to me that's great well it, it's really it's really fun book it's and of course it's your work is really engaging and uh i look forward to seeing what else uh what else you'll come up with our, our, i can't our next- tell you what's on deck yet because i've been yeah. asked not to but i can tell you that uh there's definitely some more publications in the pipeline yay that's great <laughs> to hear so our, our next um the next episode will be uh 
record at the end of June with Dominique Parisien. So, oh, uh, you're going to have such a great talk. Yes. That book is well, really, really terrific. Yeah, and he and I have known each other for some years because mm-hmm. uh, he lived in Ottawa. So I met oh. him at a reading for the first time at an old, at this Cafe Nostalgia, which is a place that was mm-hmm. a grad hub as part of University of Ottawa. So oh, nice. I've known him for, for some time. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it'll be an, a lovely uh, interview as well. Of, of interviewing, uh, having good chats with it. I miss the podcast. I miss being away mm-hmm. for several months, but my brain just had no ability to focus on anything at that yeah. point. You have to, you have to listen to yourself as well, right? Like there are so many times when we just, we want to do so much more, but we deplete ourselves sometimes very quickly. Yes. So thank you, Rizikra, for being on the show. Thanks to everyone listening. Thanks to Wilsack and Wynn for the book and for continuing to do great work and Mm -hmm. for all the other people involved in the book as well. And we will see, we will not see you, I guess, but we will. (laughs) I'm seeing people, so I figure everyone's. But no, I will, I will talk. To, I will be talking again more on the podcast and other places uh, soon. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Small Machine Talks. The Small Machine Talks.